That's to restore. And I love the end of that song, that line where it talks about the broken pieces are going to be restored. Wow. So good. There's so much hurt in this room. So much hurt in our lives because of sin, and sin is real, and it is ugly. But let me let you in on a secret. There's victory found in Christ. There's victory. And it's so fitting that Paul writes chapter 6 in a way that he does because he's been wrestling with the Galatian people and he's saying that you're filling your lives with burdens. You're putting this yoke of slavery around you that is weighing you down. And you're allowing it because of your legalistic ways. Because you think somehow in your life you can fix it. And you can't. Not without Christ. And he says, in Christ you've been set free. And that weight has been lifted. And so Paul moves into chapter 6. And he really talks about a life of service to one another. And what that looks like. It's tough. It's ugly at times. But it's so good. The end goal of restoration to be restored is so good. And I know that there are circles out there that believe that once we're Christians, we no longer sin. It's so not true. It's so not true. And don't fall into that lie but that we wrestle with sin. We wrestle with it. Listen to what 1 John says. Chapter 1, verse 8, if you're taking notes, he says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if on the other hand we are confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We are fallen. We are broken people. But God wants to put the pieces back together. So don't fall into that. Don't fall into that once I'm a Christian, I sin no more. That thought is out there. That school of thought, that theology is floating around. Please don't fall into that. But understand that sin is real. And that Christ has come to give us victory over that. And so what happens when we sin? A few things right here. It says, we lose our joy. We lose our joy. What else happens when we sin? We lose our peace. Because we're at war with God. We lose our peace. And we also lose our confidence. That we can stand in victory. Second Peter 1.10 says this, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his call and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. As long as you walk in step with the Spirit, as long as you practice 
the law of the Word and not the law of man, you will not stumble. That doesn't mean we're not perfect. What that means is that we will not be caught up in the deceit of the devil. We will not get caught up in the traps and the lies of this world to say that somehow we can self-sustain ourselves. We can't. And so what is our goal then? As Christians, as a church, it's holiness. That we fight for holiness. How do we fight for holiness? We fight to remove sin within us and sin around us in the family of God. So that's what Paul wants to look at. It's a life of service to one another. Chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It reads like this. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regards to himself and not in regards to one another. For each one will bear his load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. But not, uh, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap the flesh. Uh, I'm sorry. For the one who sows his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows from the Spirit, Spirit reaps eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then... While we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so before we get into this, I want to read you a quote. And it says this, If holiness is the most important, then what is the priority of every Christian? Should it be really working on? Should every Christian be working on? The holiness of his life first of all, and secondly, the holiness of the church. Now, if I'm going to work for the holiness of the church, what does that involve? Well, that really involves me dealing with sin, first of all, in my life, and then in someone else's. And that's tough. And our first thought is, well, you're not my spiritual belief. I have a conscience. Don't judge me. It's so much more than that. That's not the heart of Paul. That's not the heart of Christ. It's that we come alongside each other and that we help carry those burdens. And so there's four ways that Paul is going to teach us right here. He says that the life of service towards the Christian who has sinned, towards the Christian who is burdened, towards the pastor, and towards all men. So look at verse 1. We'll get into it. A life of service towards the Christian who has sinned. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And Paul deals with a hypothetical case here. The Christian who is caught in sin, or that word actually means 
to be caught by sin, that somehow sin has overtaken us, it has overran us, that we're not, we're not stronger than sin apart from Christ, we're not stronger, and that could overrun us, and we can be taken by it. And there's two passages I want to read. Look at John, if you're note, taking notes. John 8, 3-5, through 5, it says this. And this is how the legalistic would respond to this situation when sin comes, when sin is overran. This is what they would say. The scribe and the Pharisee brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the center of the court, they say to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in, every, in the very act. Now in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such woman. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that he might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote in the ground. But when, they, but when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw the stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And then in Acts with Paul, it says, When the seven days were among, almost over, the Jews from Asia, upon seeing him in the temple, began to stir up all the crowds and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, come to our aid. This is the man who preaches to all men everywhere against our people and the law in this place. And besides, he has even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they have previously seen Tophimus and Ephesian in the city with him. And they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now these are the ways of the legalistic man. And at first it's about pride and not about love. It was to say, look at them and not look at me. Look at what they've done and try to justify it in their lives and say, they're worse than me somehow or some way. And so pride got in their way. And they looked to destroy the person instead of Restore the person. That's what the legalistic person does. They point the finger. They look at sin in everybody else's life and not in their own. And Paul's saying that's not what we do. Look at verse 1. It says what? The Christian should look, the Christian should restore him. to reinstate, to reestablish, to refurbish, to renovate, to repair. The word used here in the secular Greek is for setting broken bones, and in the New Testament is for mending the nets of the fishermen. Hmm. I know we're not all physicians, and we can set broken bones, but I think the key here is that we can't do it alone. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty tough. Pretty tough guy. I like to think so, maybe. I know people laugh, but that's okay. Uh, but I'm pretty sure I couldn't reset my broken bone. That would be pretty painful. I'm pretty sure that I would need assistance. I'm pretty sure that I would want someone to come alongside me in that moment. I'm not Bear grill, so I can't fasten up something to fix myself. But in that, that restoration, that part of that of setting that broken bone, is that that's what happens in our spiritual life. There's so much brokenness that sometimes we don't know how to deal with it. 
So Paul calls us to come alongside to restore, as a Christian, to restore. And by those who are spiritual, what does that mean? Those who are more mature. Those who are walking with the Lord. Come alongside. Look at verse 1. It says, Brothers, even if anyone is caught in trespassing, you who are spiritual, you who are mature, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. And then look what it says. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So he's not excluding anyone. He's not saying that only those who are spiritual, only those who are somehow scholars in the Christian faith should come alongside. He's saying there's different roles. He's saying that with you who are more spiritual, mature, come alongside, teach, love, and walk with that person. Those who are not, pray, encourage, serve. There's so much more we can do as a family of God. That's why we're a body. That's why we all work together. We have different roles and different purposes, but we all come together to carry burdens and to love those who are sinners and have sin in their life. It's a team effort. It's a team effort. So don't get confused by this passage and say, well, Jason, I'm not spiritual enough. You can do your part. You can do your part. If that's shepherding them to someone who is, great. But now you know the situation. And so don't drop the ball and not pray and not encourage. You can continue to serve, continue to restore. And he goes on furthermore to say this, that we must do that work gently. And I think we learned last week in Paul when it talks about being gentle and the fruit of the Spirit, it's not being walked on, it's not being pushed around, but it's a gentleness of discipline. And we want to still discipline, but in gentleness. We want to still restore gently with compassion. We don't want to stay neutral and say, eh, he's just dealing with something, he's sinning. But we want to be aggressive. We don't want to be passive. We want to deal with that sin with compassion and with love. And so that's our duty and that's our life of service towards the Christian who has sinned. Now in verse 2, let's look at the Christian who is burdened. Verse 2 through 5, it says, Bear one another's burdens, and therefore, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regards to himself alone, and not in regards to another. For each one will bear his own load. So a serving Christian lends a helping hand with a heavy load. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens, therefore fulfill the law of Christ. And so this principle applies to every situation, but here Paul, what he is saying is that there's heavy loads here. It's heavy. We talked about the yoke of slavery, the burden that we're falling back into that legalistic way. There's heavy-weighted sin. We know that sin is all the same, but there's sin that we deal with that is heavy. And that's what Paul's talking about here. When he says, bear one another's burdens. But you who are spiritual, do the work of restoring. All believers come along and pray so that what? This is what he means here when he says this. 
when he says, fulfill the law of Christ, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. He's meaning that we're all coming together. That's plural here. That together we restore. And then in verse 3, he says, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Conceit is evil. And we must remove that. As Christians, we must have the eyes of Jesus. We can't become conceited and say, He's got his problems. I'm better than him. We can't be the Pharisees. We can't point the finger. We have to remove that. And that's so easy. It's so easy to do. It's so easy to stand up on our ivory towers and look down at the so-called sinners of this world. So we must remove that conceit. And here's the remedy for it. Look at verse 4. It says, But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to one another. And so the, the action here is examine his own actions. Everyone must examine his own actions. This means that we step back. We look at our motives. And so in verse 4 when it says, but each one must examine his own works. When we really truly step back and reveal who we are, and we realize we are nothing without Christ, we realize that we can't move forward without Christ, then, in verse 4 says, and then he will have reason for boasting in regards to himself. I can boast in Christ and the work of Christ in me. And so the challenge is to step back and say, what am I really doing? What are my motives? Examine myself and see that it's Christ that lives in me. See that it's Christ is the hope of glory in me. It's not me, but it's Christ. And so when we step back in verse 4, we can understand that it's not me alone, but it's Christ working through me. And then in verse 5, Christian does, in fact, test himself by carrying or bearing his own load, the Scripture says. And this does not contradict with verse 2. When we look back at verse 2, and verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. This is not a contradictory right here. Because it's a different word in the Greek, and this is what it says. It's designated is used to designate the package usually carried by a marching soldier. You're like, what does that mean? <laughs> what is this guy talking about? Think with me now. Look at this. Bear one another's burdens. We're talking about that. That's the heaviness. It's the heaviness, right? Bearing that heavy load, walking with one another, loving one another, serving one another. And then we pull ourselves back and we look at the end in verse 5 here and it says, it says that we, uh, that we carry or bury, uh, bear his own load. So it doesn't contradict because it's talking about the package that the, the soldier's carrying. And what package are we carrying? 
We think about that. What are we carrying? What should we be carrying? The life of Christ. That's our package. That's what we're marching along in this life with. That's what we're holding dear to ourselves. And so when we look at verse 5, he says, For each one will bear his own load. Each one of us, if we're going to learn how to carry the burdens of someone else, must have to step back and realize that the package within us is Christ. And in that package, that is the only way that we can minister to the burdens of others. Because I can come up with a lot of cool things in my head to do. I'm a problem solver. My wife knows I'm always right. Amen, babe? Where are you going? But I'm not. <laughs> the pride in me, the conceit in me. But when I step back and I can look at my life, I can realize that all good things come from Christ. All my strength comes from Christ. And that package is so vital. It is so vital. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 11.30. I love it. You may know it. Note it down. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, the yoke of freedom and not legalism. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Amen? Take upon you the yoke of Christ, the yoke of freedom. Be set free from the sin that has entangled our lives. Be set free from unforgiveness, from lust, from hatred, and allow Christ to heal and restore in His freedom. There is freedom. There is freedom, people. So many relationships I see that are bound and entangled, that are heavy-weighted because they won't let go of forgiveness. They won't let go of lust. And you can fill the blank in with whatever sin that is. Come unto me, all who are weary. And in verse 6, Paul moves on to a life of service towards the pastor or teachers. And he says this, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Verse 6 
is foreign to the Jews? Listen to what Paul says in verse 6. He says, The one who taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. This concept here, this voluntary giving to provide for the Lord's servant, was foreign to the Jews because the Jews paid a tax and and it was in that. When they paid the tax, that was it, they were done. And then the Gentiles, on the other hand, they they paid fees and they vowed that they would support. And so this voluntary action that Paul is saying here, he's saying the one who has taught the word to share all good things with the one who teaches him. This is foreign. This is foreign here. And so the warning is clear that the teacher should share what? The word of God and the believer should respond by sharing all good things with the one who teaches him. All good things. Season tickets to LSU. Good things, right? Share, please. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, but this is what, the, in all seriousness, it's all good things. We're not looking here at the Oaks like monetary. You've got to bring your money. You know, I've got to see what percentage you're giving out. We're not worried about that. We pray that you give with a cheerful heart. We pray that you minister to us with a cheerful heart. Is that through your time, your money, your resources, all those things. That is what is important. All good things. Not just financial. All good things. And so Paul is saying this. He's saying, the one who has taught the word is to share all good things to the one who teaches him. And in verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And so the warning is sound that God cannot be mocked and no man can turn his nose up to God. For it says, a man will reap what he sows. And that is absolute. That is absolute. Look at verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. He will reap corruption. That is, if he spends his money and he indulges in the flesh, he will reap a harvest that will fade into oblivion. And it means nothing what your life looks like on this earth if it does not reflect Christ. If it does not put Christ in the forefront. And so if we invest our time and energy in things that does not matter eternally, we will reap what we sow. We'll reap what we sow. Jesus said, if you want this life, you can have it. But in the end, this will be your life. So verse 9, I love this. I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. On the other hand, he says what? He says, so to please the Spirit. So to please the Spirit, to promote your spiritual growth. And you will reap a harvest that lasts forever. Sow spiritual things. Invest in spiritual things that you too will grow. And the benefit is eternal. And then verse 9, Paul says this. I love how he ends it. He says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Christians become discouraged with spiritual sowing because the harvest is often long. Sometimes it's long. 
Sometimes we don't see the end. That's okay. It's okay if we don't. I can testify to that, Casey, Joe. So many times we invest our life into someone and we never see the benefits, and that's okay. It's okay. So Christians, don't grow weary. Don't be discouraged. We have a saying around here at the Oaks that nothing grows fast but a weed. We believe that. We believe it with our hearts because we want to invest in you. We don't want to invest in numbers and tearing walls down and building new buildings. We want to invest in you. If that's the fruit of it, great. But if not, we're not worried about that. We want to protect you, know you, love you, serve you. And that takes time. We also say that we want to be shepherds that smell like our sheep. So we want to invest time. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary of you giving and giving spiritually of all good things and not seeing the harvest. Don't grow weary. It's coming. Verse 9, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Let us not grow weary. And then in verse 10, and Paul finishes up, and he talks about a life of service towards all men. We've looked at a life of service towards the sinner, the ones who have burdens, to the pastors, and then he says all believers, or all men, sorry. So then, while we have opportunity, remember that, while we have opportunity, let us do to all people, and especially those who are of the household of faith. And so then... We just talked about while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. Christians have a measure of responsibility to all people to do good when the occasion arises. We see that with Jesus. We see when he fed the 5,000. It wasn't just all saved people. It wasn't all Christians. He served all. He fed all. We see that. So the compassion Christians should, should not be restricted to just believers. But then again, what does Paul say? At the end of verse 2, especially to those who are of the household of faith. This passage is clearly speaking of Christians and their social responsibility, but is not speaking of the church as an agency of social work. Not. Speaking of the Christians who are in charge of loving and ministering to each other within the family. Family first. We take care of the family first. You do that at home as well. I hope you do. I hope we are men that lead our homes and take care of our homes and then look after others. I hope we are men that don't leave the unfinished work at our homes and try to take care of the others. So that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, so then, while you have the opportunity, when there's an opportunity, when there's the occasion 
to minister to those outside of the family, do it. And do it well. And love them and counsel them and serve them and encourage them. Do it. But remember, especially to those who are the household of God, don't forget about the church. Because we are the light, we are the greatest witness on this earth to the non-believing people. The way that we walk, the way that we carry ourselves in unity, in love, and in service. We are the church. And let me end with this in Romans 12, verse 17 through 21. Paul writes in verse 17, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as to depend on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, here's the tough part, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is how we serve one another. This is how we love all men. We love all men. That we be the example that we set forth the path of righteousness, of holiness. That we set that pace. And we love those who are unloved. And we love those who hate us. And so in conclusion, as Casey and them come back up, as we think about Paul's closing here in chapter 6, in the life of service, towards the Christian who has sinned. It is love, not legalism. When we think about the Christian who has sinned, it is love, not legalism. We want to love them. We don't want to give them nine steps to look like us. We want to love them. When we think about a life of service towards the Christian who is burdened, We want to restore them. We want to restore them. We want to come alongside and carry that burden and teach them how to take on a yoke so much easier. The yoke of Christ. And we think about a service towards our pastors and teachers. Share all good things. Share all good things that will benefit you spiritually. And then last, when we think of a service towards all men, that we have compassion for all, just like Jesus did. That heart breaks, our heart breaks for the sinner. Our heart breaks that there is evil in this world. And that we have compassion for them. That we love them. Serve them. Let me pray. Father, God, as we hear Paul's heart, as he's battled with the Galatians people,
God, I pray that we remove the legalistic side of who we are and we learn to live in freedom. But that freedom can only come by walking in the Spirit. It doesn't give us a license to sin, but it gives us a license to love. And that we understand that sin is ugly and it can only be conquered by the love of Christ. So as Paul has penned this letter, I pray, God, that we evaluate ourselves, that we step back and we look at our life, that we don't become conceited like the Pharisees and say we're better than you, that we have it all together. But we fight, we fight for restoration the lives of our brothers and sisters within the faith family. And then, Father, I also pray that we keep our eyes and hearts open for the opportunities outside of the church to serve, to love, and encourage. God, allow us to continue to walk in your spirit day after day after day so that we can look more like Jesus.